I'm Cody Royal, and this is the Where Others Won't podcast. This episode is a one-on-one discussion about the business of sport and features Dave Meltzer, CEO of Sports One Marketing, investor in the Splice Esports team, and host of sports entrepreneurial podcast, The Playbook. This episode is sponsored by Athletic Greens, who have a special offer for you later in the show. But for now, enjoy the conversation. Dave Meltzer, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks so much, Cody, for having me. Yeah, looking forward to this one, mate. Um, To start off each show, I uh, just described to the listeners why I reached out to you, how I reached out to you. And for you, what kept coming up for me was your show, The Playbook, which is absolutely fascinating. And you just kept showing up on my social feeds. And the more and more I looked into you, the more fascinated I became with your journey. And I was kind of compelled to to reach out about the, the, the whole uh, structure of your life. You've been the CEO of the world's first smartphone. Uh, you were the CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports, which... Uh, Lee Steinberg was uh, the character that they modeled Jerry Maguire on. Um, what, you've been in tech, you've been in sports agencies, you've written books, you're a keynote speaker, but what is it about this sports entrepreneurial space that keeps you intellectually engaged? Well, first of all, the thing that keeps me engaged in sports is the emotional side of it. That I always love the way Lee described the sports business to me, the rationality of middle-aged people. Uh, and that, you know, during good times and bad, we're so compelled to this multi-billion dollar industry. And uh, so no better place to be an entrepreneur than in the sports and entertainment world. And uh, I believe, you know, that work to me is a different defined entity uh, that I look at my life as every day is 24 hours of activity. Some of the activities I get paid for, some I don't. Uh, but I have two true purposes to enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential. And that's number one, how can I be of service? And two, uh, who can help me? And really, I've simplified my mission in life, utilizing the multi-billion dollar industry as an entrepreneur to really focus on those two things, how I can be of service and who can help me accelerate my mission. Yeah, absolutely. And and I can vouch for that as well. I, your response to me when I first reached out to you was just one of pure service, like how can I help you? You know, I'd say it's so easy to say those things, especially these days because we hear so much about it. But uh, you do actually live it on a day-to-day basis, and, and uh, I can vouch for that just in our uh, short interactions. Um, and so... You now run Sports on Marketing with Warren Moon, um, who I believe was a partner in, in Lee Steinberg as well. But what, what was it about Warren that you observed that made you want to go into business with him? You know, there's a spirit of excellence that exists in a lot of professional athletes and in most Hall of Famers. But of all the people that I had worked with and associated with, that spirit, that inspiration uh, was at a higher and the depth of Warren Moon was, was higher than any other person that I had done business with, whether they came from sports or technology or entrepreneurship. Uh, he vibrated faster than anyone I'd ever met. He was the perfectionist of perfectionists, the optimist of optimists. He, 
he uh, had a wisdom and a security uh, in himself that I never had witnessed. And I really enjoyed uh, being challenged by someone that had such a high standard uh, that he put on everything, whether it was going on vacation with him, cooking, going out to eat, doing a charitable event, raising money, doing I, the level of excellence that, you know, I, I thought I was a perfectionist and someone who had a higher standard of living to a potential to exist. But I will tell you to this day that that's his greatest asset is the ability to raise the bar so high where other people would not even venture to in his potential that he pursues is one in which I wanted to join that journey as well as aspire to learn how to carry that spirit of excellence. Yeah. Let's dig into that a little bit because you hear that quite often with athletes that are uh, starting their second journey, whether they've been an Olympic athlete, uh, whether they're in one of the big four sports. Uh, my background is from Australia. It's exactly the same when guys come out of rugby or the AFL. You hear about the mindset and the mentality of pro athletes converting well into the business endeavors. And, and that makes sense, like goal-driven, all that sort of stuff. But um, how replicable is that, do you think? You've interviewed some of the, the, the guys that are coming out currently how often do you see that, or is that just a kind of a throwaway line? They're goal driven. They're they're motivated. No, I, I think you you nailed it. The, the difficulty is is that what they lack is radical humility. Uh, so the biggest challenge for most great athletes, regardless of the sports that they play, is that they've been highly successful utilizing the competitive nature characteristics of discipline and consistency, which I believe that consistency is the biggest challenge we have in life and no matter what you're trying to do and these exceptional athletes have been greater at achieving consistency than anyone else the difficulty they have though is that because and this is one that i had at a young age because of great success at a young age in my respective field that i believed i could do anything and i lack the radical humility to ask for help and if you notice the critical two questions that i always ask is number one how can i be of service in order to reach my potential but also do you know anyone that can help me and i see that's the thing that most of them are lacking almost a hundred percent of great athletes have that consistency discipline competitive winning nature spirit excellence all of that within them but that can be a detriment if they don't have radical humility. Yeah, absolutely. That that asking for help part is is huge. And I've heard that as well. Up here in Toronto is obviously a huge sports market. A lot of the athletes will come out and go into the uh, either the entrepreneurial field or go into big corporate and, and really have an issue with asking for help. I think because the coaching is always there for them. Would that be fair to say? Oh, absolutely, right? In, the, the coaching is always there, but they just have this empowered nature where it's a, a structured help, right? It's a routine help. They, their coach is the one they rely on. And uh, what happens is that they don't have a, a coach for life, right? And they don't see the parallels or the comparisons that, you know, I, I do a lot of business coaching and I coach some of the greatest athletes in business and, you know, one of the top hundred Marshall Goldsmith coaches. And, you know, I try to give them that insight, like, Hey, even though you were uh, the best linebacker in the world, you listen to your linebacker coach. Why is it now that you think that because you were the best linebacker of all time that you think you know how to raise money, right? Why not ask the best coach 
how to raise money or how to build a business or scale a business or, you know, deal with employees or overhead or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, how can we capture what we have in sports where the coaches are always there and they're, they're available and they're willing to coach and, and engaged to coach and, and make someone better in the corporate space as well? Because it's not just on people to go and ask for help. It's uh, you got to meet halfway sometimes. And I think that's one that's really missing. I come from a big business world up here in Canada and that's something that's missing as well. So how can we close that gap? Ask for help is one part, but how do we get that coaching environment from sports really embedded in the business space? Well, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of different accelerators, incubators, and other things that are now being created and executed on in the realm of sports and entertainment. People are seeing sports as a business. They are understanding it. Uh, Even the NFL, for example, has, an MBA program where they pay while athletes are in the league or even out of the league two to five years, they're funding them to go to business school and to learn about uh, from the greatest minds and leaders in business, what to do, how to do it, just as if they're on the field. So I think a lot of the different programs out there, institutions, organizations that now have programs that are more structured uh, so that athletes especially feel comfortable that this is something I'm used to, you know, this is my new linebacker coach. Yeah, that's something that I wrote about in my book because I was really interested in that that portion. How how can we replicate that? And um, it's changing the mindset of the way that we're we're teaching and coaching everyone. And um, I think there might be a, a bit of a mushroom effect uh, once it's seen. Um, by the masses and and actually seen on a day-to-day basis. And like you said, that consistency of it, um, it's clear that it has the ability to unlock competitive advantage for companies and obviously for individuals as well. Yeah. I want to get into the the playbook with you. Uh, Tell me the origin story because you've got a really, really cool niche here going around uh, speaking to athletes, current athletes, some former athletes and people in that world about the entrepreneurial endeavors um, of those pro athletes. And no one else is covering that angle, but I want to know what the catalyst for you for the show was. You know, it really was that um, I work with so many great people that are in sports and around sports. And I realized that there's a playbook that people don't know. There's a playbook to the successes and failures. And, you know, I joke around, there's so many overnight successes, meaning 20 year overnight successes, <laughs> and that people don't understand uh, the character traits, the personality traits, the obsessions, the addictions, the mistakes that are made, the lessons that are learned in order to be the best of the best. And whether you're in sports, entertainment, business, uh, there's a lot of rejection. And, you know, how to deal uh, with the challenges of the pursuit of our potential and perspective and consistency and discipline and time and energy and vibration and faith and all these different issues that everyone in the world uh, experiences, taking it from the top echelons of athletes and entertainers has really given people, I think, some inspirational insight on being able to pursue their own potential utilizing the playbooks of the most successful people on earth. It's so true, isn't it? 
my business, we operate a site called Inner Voice, which is essentially the Players' Tribune for endurance sports, so triathlons, marathons, cyclists. And we dig into those nitty-gritty spaces with them as well, and, and it's it's more about failure than it is about winning. And, and we tell those stories, and consistently from the audience, when they hear that the Olympic gold medalist in triathlon has paralysis by analysis or is standing there at the start line at the Olympics favoured to win, but he's looking at everyone else going, holy shit, how am I here? Um, it's incredible when you show that that level of vulnerability and, and, and humility, um, how people react to you. Um, have you seen that as well in, in the, the people that, that you're speaking to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that there is uh, the idea that people buy on emotion for logical reasons, and there's an emotional uh, connection, energy and motion that allows that connection to occur. And I think not only uh, is it present, but it can be duplicated and enhanced upon in order to help achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Who that you've interviewed on the playbook, who's blown your mind? Uh, several people. So, uh, Ray Lewis is one that comes to mind that I was terrified sitting that close, but I was just, he blew my mind how inspirational, like I could just see why he was a leader of men men and, and, and how just uh, faithful and faith driven he is, you know, that, that was great. And then of course, you know, everyone from Danica Patrick to Tony Hawk, uh, just incredible. And then, uh, you know, I did Mir. this hasn't been released yet, but I did Maria Sharapova one of the best ones, just incredible intellect and business savvy. Uh, each each of, you know, these are pretty big names. So each of them have something special about them. But I think, you know, the the Ray Lewis one, and then, and then in the entrepreneurial side, you know, Tom Bailu and Ed Milet, you know, those guys, you know, blew me. Gary Vee always blows my mind. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm just blessed because there's so many different people with so many different unbelievable lessons that are on the playbook. And that's why I highly encourage people to kind of listen to greatness, duplicate greatness and experience greatness through the playbook. 100%. And there's a few people, Alan Stein, I saw uh, you had on recently. He's been on our show as well. Uh, Absolutely spellbinding when he talks and uh, has so many great lessons that he's learned and is now passing on. You know, and and, and it's interesting. You mentioned Alan Stein because, Alan Stein is one of my favorites. Uh, and the reason is there's so many people, you know, it's great to say Danica Patrick, Ray Lewis, Tony Hawk, you know, Gary Vee and all these people. Uh, but there's some hidden gems out there, guys who have been integral in the sports world, in the motivation, inspiration world, uh, and that are up and coming as well. And, you know, from the day I met Alan Stein, I felt that, you know, his vibration, his awareness and his lessons were equal to or greater than any of the biggest names on earth. 100%. I had two people email me about three days ago within a couple of hours of each other and recommend that I reach out to Alan. We'd already recorded the show. And um, to listeners, there's a show with Dan Abrahams and Alan Stein. Dan Abrahams is the sports psych for AFC Bournemouth in the Premier League. And we paired him with Alan and it is an absolute gangbuster show. Um, highly recommended. Uh, Dave, one thing that I really like to ask people, there's there's always the consistencies and you can see the consistencies when you speak to high performers and uh, on the playbook, you've had nothing but high performers. What have been some of the inconsistencies? Like what are some of the crazy things that have just mm-hmm. um, 
really surprised you about either the way someone's gone about something or how they think about the world where you kind of have to sit up and go, oh, wow, that's, that's different? Yeah, you know, uh, that's a great question. And nobody, like everyone asks me for the similarities, which is always, you know, persistence and consistency. The inconsistency are the frequency things. And when I say that, what I mean is the inconsistencies are partly a consistency, which is that every great person is themselves, right? They've been able to find their own frequency, but all of those frequencies are different, whether they're a skateboarder or a car racer, a football player, a basketball player, uh, you know, a motivational speaker, an entrepreneur, uh, the, the inconsistencies between them are their frequencies. And when I say that, I mean, you know, none of them have the same beliefs, right? They have a lot of the same characteristics about time and discipline and, you know, all the, all the things that create good habits. But, you know, Dennis Rodman has a totally different frequency than John Daly. And John Daly has a different one than Gary V and Gary V has a different frequency than Danica Patrick. And the inconsistencies are just the fact that everybody's different in the way they think, say, and do things. Everyone's different in the way they believe things. And most importantly, energetically as a frequency, uh, they're different. And that leads to genetic differences that are activated and deactivated. And that's what makes it so special uh, by having all these different personalities that people can find those frequencies that are similar to theirs and look at the formula to success for someone that has a similar or the exact same frequency that you have. So if you're like Dennis Rodman, he's given you his playbook to success mm -hmm. and he's given you the lessons to accelerate the situational knowledge from learning from his mistakes. If you're more like Tony Hawk, that's cool. If you're, you know, more like Ray Lewis, that's great. Although I don't think anyone I've ever met at the same frequency as Ray Lewis. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't matter. I think that's what makes it so beautiful is the inconsistent frequency that exists. Yeah, it's, it's funny how, and I've written about this in the past uh, on a blog, was how frequently someone like Gary Vee says, don't copy me unless you're on the same mission as me. Stop trying to be me. I'm giving you the playbook, like you said. But... Ultimately, this is for me. And it's funny because the reaction seems to be the more he says that, the more people try to copy. But like you said, I think there's, 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 there's more value in, uh, in the self-awareness piece in terms of understanding who you are and then cottoning on to someone who's on a similar mission to, to, to you um, rather than just picking uh, – someone like Gary Vee because he shows up a lot and, and trying to copy him. But one thing that I've really noticed is these people, talking of self-awareness, they truly understand themselves and they're just living uh, their truest life. Would that be a fair statement? Very fair statement. And I think it's the biggest lesson I've learned is to learn to love me and to trust my frequency. And if you are an outlier, that's okay. And... Uh, I think more and more, I was stewing on this during the day, actually, more and more as, as we go into this kind of more binary world, ones and zeros, um, data, you know, finding insights into all these different things. I think being an outlier is actually going to be the new competitive advantage because everyone else can fall in line, but having that X factor uh, can help you jump ahead of the pack. Uh, in the past, it's kind of been seen as you might be weird, but maybe now being weird... And being an outlier is actually going to be a competitive advantage. Yeah, it, 
if not a competitive advantage, at least I think it has to do with how you can be and access our community. So where before, uh, you know, even when you grew up in your small town, that's the only frequency that you knew. So you seemed as if you were completely different. Uh, although there may have been, you know, people around the world that were very similar or be attracted to what you were. You just didn't have the exposure to it. Where now, what's beautiful about the internet, and, you know, the, the numbers vary, but there's four to six billion people on the internet. And in that statement, you have access to an extraordinary amount of people to find, wow, you know what, the hundred people that I grew up in Zionsville, Indiana, they, I'm an outlier, but there's, you know, Two million people that love what I'm about. Two million people is a lot of people. Absolutely. Two million people that uh, like to wear red gum boots on Tuesdays. You can find yeah. those people now. Right, exactly. And it's a totally different world. Like I always say in my speaking career, I would be so excited to have a speak a speech with 2,000 people, but yet every day I have millions of people watching and listening to me. I have a stage of over a million people every day. Absolutely. And the one... Uh, kind of meshing a few ideas together there. I've written about this in the past as well, was there's so many people that stop because they, they see the eights and the tens on their the hits on their blog. Um, well, one kind of hack that I've, I've been able to use is, is to humanize those numbers. So when you start to look at in the hundreds, if you imagine those hundred people that viewed your blog in your apartment, that suddenly becomes tangible. Like that's an apartment full of people. And, and that, that hundred becomes a thousand and thousand can become two million. And, um, yeah, there's so many great blogs and websites and, and, uh, sports sites that I see out there that they stop after a couple of months and it's, uh, it's a shame. Yeah, it is. Because if you put in that context, not only the cool thing about it is you have a hundred people in your apartment, that would be considered a huge success. But the cool thing is every day you have more and more people coming to your apartment to, to watch it and you don't have to do it again. It's perpetual. People will kick themselves. I use a real estate analogy. I'm telling you right now, people will kick themselves. It's like on Thanksgiving, my uncle had a place in Pacific Beach, California. Great condo. Two-bedroom condo right on the beach. I asked him in 1972, what did you buy that for? He said $50,000. And that was probably expensive back then. Here we are 46, 46 years later, and it's a million-dollar condo. People would kick themselves. Why did I do that, right? That's the way they're going to feel about creating a brand for yourself right now and perpetually believing and investing in yourself right now, that building that brand and spending the, investing in yourself and spending that money today is like buying a $50,000 condo 40 years ago. 100%. I'm going to switch gears for a second here. I want to talk to you about teams. You've led business teams uh, in, in a, a variety of different industries. What sort of leader would you call yourself? Oh, I would be a value-based leader. So, you know, I wrote the book, Compassionate Capitalism, about this with Blaine Barlett. Uh, I'm a value-based leader, meaning that it stems from being a parent. I always said, you know, my kids don't listen to me, but they watch me. And so if people are going to watch me, I want to teach values and then allow them to be empowered with those values. And those four values are very simple. Gratitude, empathy, accountability, and effective communication. Wonderful. And so, and how does that 
trickle down. So like how, when you get into the nitty gritty of it, how are your team empowered to, obviously they can, they can see it, but then on a day-to-day basis, how they live out those values as well in, in terms of what they're doing at their desk, you know, between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m.? Yeah, so all decisions that they make uh, at their desk, at home, in the community, they know that, number one, it's all perspective-based, that they have to look and find the blessings and everything. Two, that they're going to make mistakes. Mistakes are encouraged. And so through that, forgiveness is so important and that there's only one person to forgive themselves so that they can give forgiveness to others. And then three, accountability that allows them to say to themselves, giving themselves complete control of their job. They have complete control knowing that everything that I did today, I attracted to myself and what am I supposed to learn from it? So it gives an expansive value and energy to the company that everybody's making mistakes, forgiving themselves, learning from it. And those lessons are now creating a higher level of awareness and enlightenment for the entire organization or a collective belief. And then finally, effective communication is a challenge in pursuing their potential of how can I connect to others with the inspiration that I connected to uh, during the day, meaning you have a higher energy at the office because people are searching for inspiration and how to communicate that to others. Love it. And I just thought of this question, and I'm going to pitch it to you. As we start to move into this uh, more disparate world in terms of the workplace, we've got more remote teams, and uh, it tends to be more task-based. So you're not around the office and you don't necessarily hear the small talk between Sharon and, and Amy over the water cooler. How, how do we continue what you talked about there with you know values-based leadership? How, how do we get to the point where um, we can still operate and have those team dynamics, even though we don't uh, see each other in the office and have that really one-on-one personal connection? Yeah, so connection, personal connection can come in a variety of ways. It can come in person, on the phone, via email, or via media, you know, print, radio, TV, uh, because emotions transcend any mediums that we have. And people connect on emotions, right? They buy on emotions for logical reasons. So I believe that people... Uh, don't understand the key to connecting emotionally is the consistent connection, not the medium in which they connect to. So I you know, have a daughter in college that I connect to every day for a minimum of two minutes via text or email or phone every single day that keep us connected. Uh, you know, I travel in my office, but it's the consistent touching and emotional connection that's most important. And so, uh, you know, I, I believe that being in person is, it keeps nothing over the consistency of everybody knowing to effectively communicate with the other three values consistently every day for a minimum amount of time. Remember, if you do something every day, seven days a week, you get at least 10 times, uh, if not more, uh, the, the benefit. So, you know, you meditate two minutes, it's worth more than an hour on a Saturday. You play golf for 30 minutes, it's worth more than a six-hour round. You know, it's just exponential, the value that you get. So true, isn't it? And you, you touched on there. So the, the book that I'm currently writing is called Be Deliberate. And it's that idea in that, uh, you know, we need to be intentional about these things now. It's, it's kind of like, you know, at, at Toronto Airport, there's multiple times where you get to choose only between walking up the stairs and taking the escalator. And we kind of mindlessly take the escalator and no one takes the stairs. But, you know, when you're on a health kick, 
you'll uh, snap out into your conscious mind and you'll take the stairs. But every other time you just kind of go through the motions. And it's a similar thing there where we need to almost force those interactions in the workplace. Uh, even if it is, you know, sc- scheduling a, a Skype call with someone on your on your team for three minutes, right? That's all it takes. It's just that consistency. Just do something, right? Correct. And I, I use that a lot in my life uh, to have a minimum amount of time to do things. So, um, you know, I, I even use it, I use an example of my mom, you know, I, my mom was making me do things and I couldn't understand like why, you know, she was making me do certain things. And I realized that I wasn't showing her the love and appreciation. So she was projecting that onto me to prove that I loved and appreciated her. The minute I gave the minimum of one minute a day, every single day, seven days a week to show my mom, I loved and appreciated her. All of a sudden, all that went away. In fact, my relationship has never been better. My emotional connection with one of the closest people in my life, one of the people I admire the most and am most grateful for, I now have healed that relationship by simply taking a minimum of a minute a day to make sure they were aware that I loved and appreciated them. Right. Small actions. And they do snowball. It's, it's exactly the same as, again, my industry is uh, marathons, triathlons, endurance events, and you got to take that first step. But then once you've taken the first one, you got to take the second one and keep going back to the well. And it's funny, um, we published a, a post by Des Linden who won the Boston Marathon this year. And she was one of those people that said, I'll never do a marathon. I'll never be able to, to, to get to that distance. I'll never be good at it. Lo and behold, you know, five, ten years later, she's winning probably the most coveted marathon in the world. So, um, yeah, there's, there's so many examples of where it's just keep putting that, that foot forward. Dave, I'm going to ask you, what, uh, what's hot in your world right now? Like, what are you obsessed with personally? What, what keeps you up at night? Only inspirational things keep me up at night. And uh, some of the most exciting things going on in sports, uh, you know, obviously in my family life, I have four children, so I'm obsessed with them, as well as my wife, my savior, my best friend. But moreover, in the sports world, esports to me is the most exciting thing. Uh, I've been blessed. I invested in the esports early. Uh, my team Splice. I invested with Meta World Peace. Uh, it may be one of the best sports investments, if not investments I've ever made. The b- growth and value and popularity of my team, the success of my team and of the sport in general is incredible. And I believe the universe is aligned with my skills, knowledge, and desire because I'm one of the few people that am old enough to have held a high-level executive job in technology, uh, in finance, as well as in sports and agentry and marketing, I am well-suited to be an expert as well as, uh, you know, a great contributor to the founding of what may be the most popular sport in the world someday. Kudos to you for recognizing that opportunity as well, because uh, even though you have all those skills and experiences, I'm sure there was still a bit of a, is this for me kind of decision-making moment for you? <laughs> yeah, you know, th- that's a really good point. You know, we want to have an interesting conversation is that, think about it, in the whole world, nobody's more suited for this sport than I am. And yet, you know, pulling the trigger on it uh, wasn't an easy decision. And you'd think it would be, right? I mean, I'm perfectly suited for it. And so I think there's a valuable lesson of how to make a decision, a prudent, practical decision, and 
uh, I will tell you, you know, I, I invested in it with Meta, um, but I hedged my bet. I, you know, I didn't put my whole life savings behind it. If somebody told me, you know, it, it fell into the budget of mine of risky investments. Uh, and, but I was smart enough to not only work hard enough to have uh, a reserve of risky investment money, <laughs> but I was also smart enough to, to use my risky investment money on this risk. Uh, but I think it's important for people to understand how certain decisions are made and that if you look at, you know, people like, you know, the Davis family or the Rooney family or the Hunt family, these are big NFL families, the Wilson family up by you in Buffalo, you know, these guys were in very similar situation as, that I was. They were all in different businesses. They were all successful at what they did, but they took some of their risky money to follow their passion and made a risky investment into uh, uh, back then, an NFL team that probably, you know, it took them 20 years before their NFL team was worth nearly as much as my eSport team. No, absolutely. It's it's funny. You can look at the, the, the money that the Maras bought the Giants or started the Giants with, but it still doesn't make it any less risky at that time. I think they were right. in the, the early 30s, but it, it's right. still that, that same process. And I'm sure there was still that conversation with the family. Shit, is this what we want to do? Right. Like your wife's sitting there going, okay, you know, you could feed a whole bunch of people with this money, Mr. Philanthropist. You could send your kids to college with this money, Mr. You know, dad, you could, you know, invest it back into your current business that that's successful, Mr. Marketer, you know, there's all these hats, you know, and I, and I admire, and I think that, you know, all these great investors, they deserve everything they get, just like entertainers and athletes deserve everything they get because people forget the risk and sacrifice that people make regardless of where they come from, you know, and there's no guarantee, you know, even for LeBron James that he was going to be successful. There's a million different things that could have happened to LeBron James, why he would not be successful in the NBA. There was great risk and sacrifice. Absolutely. One of the, one of the best, well, two of the best things that have ever been told to me. One was keep showing up. And what that means is when you're someone like me and you uh, have this podcast idea and you start to reach out to people and you get a bunch of no's, you keep showing up and you keep producing content and you keep giving people reasons to buy from you. And, and that doesn't change whether you're selling recruiting, whether you're selling market, uh, McDonald's, doesn't matter. Keep showing up. And then the second one was from Joe Dumas, who's uh, just down the road from you now. Uh, in LA, and he said, you, you'll never see anyone hit a home run by bunting. And <laughs> what that is, is, you know, that's just a, a, a plea to take a risk. And at the time, we were talking about basketball teams, but it's, it's a really good life lesson as well in that at some stage, you've got to swing for the fences. Yeah. You know, at least try to hit the ball hard, right? I mean, I think that there is a difference I'm I'm more of the student and philosophy of man get up there and hit the ball hard because I don't like to attach myself to an outcome right you hit the ball ball hard it's the best you can do it may be a home run it may be a double it may be a swinging bunt but at least you know you work your hardest to hit the ball hard don't get up there and half swing don't get up there and bunt right hit the ball hard swing for the fences <laughs> yeah. Dale, I could talk to you all day, mate, but um, let's wrap this up. Uh, where can people find you? You've got a, a lot of things going on. 
Where can they keep up to you other than uh, subscribing to the playbook? Because that's a must do. Yeah, no problem. They can reach me at David Meltzer on uh, Instagram and Twitter. They can see David Meltzer on Facebook. You can Google me, David Meltzer, Sports One Marketing. Uh, any of those places, you know, reach out at David Meltzer. I love, you know, people to read my book. Give me, I'll send it to you. Anything you need, I'm of service, as you know, Cody. So just DM me, email me, whatever it is. I'm of service and happy to be of service. Wonderful. And, and thanks for coming on the show, mate. I really appreciate it. And you've been dropping truth bombs for about 45 <laughs> minutes. So uh, I appreciate your wisdom and for passing that on and uh, for being of service uh, for me today. Anything, anytime, my friend. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot, mate. Take care. At this stage of the show, most podcasts will ask you to go and leave a five-star rating. But if you're going to go somewhere, I'd rather you go and check out Athletic Greens. If you follow me on social media, you'll see me doing two things, exercising and traveling. At my last checkup, my doctor told me I had the lowest cholesterol she'd ever seen but I was crucially low in a whole range of vitamins and minerals that I'd never heard of. And as a result, my hair was in terrible shape. I went looking for the best all-in-one solution I could find, and I landed on Athletic Greens. I found it an easy habit to get on board with. A simple routine of one scoop in some cold water every morning before I have breakfast, and I have all my bases covered. And now, my hair is back to normal. And if you still don't believe me, I'm an Australian promoting a product created by a New Zealander, so you know I'm not joking around. I can't stress this enough. Jump over to athleticgreens.com forward slash Cody and claim your special offer today. Five free travel packs with your first purchase. athleticgreens.com forward slash Cody. The Where Others Won't podcast is recorded at Apollo Studios in downtown Toronto and is produced and edited by Adam Esker. You can book me to speak by the Where Others Won't book or send me an email at codyroyal.com.